Hi guys, it's Mish here. As you've probably noticed, the Beckham documentary on Netflix, the four-part documentary series, is going absolutely wild right now. It is all over the internet. Zara and I said in the most recent episode of Shameless that we planned on watching it. Well, an update, we've both absolutely binged it. And at the end of the docu-series, we both thought, you know what? We did our own three-part series on David and Victoria Beckham's marriage. Years ago, we did it in September 2021. It's one of our favorite scandal series of all time. It has a lot of information about the celebrity side of David and Victoria Beckham that might not have been covered in the documentary series. And we want you guys to hear it. We loved doing this series. We wanted to bring it back. We think it's very, very timely to do so. And we've also condensed it. So this is three episodes jam-packed into one. We know we have lots of new listeners who may have missed this series back in the day. So hello to those listeners. This is our David and Victoria Beckham scandal series from a couple of years back. We hope you enjoy it. We certainly enjoyed making it. And it's a bit of a trip down memory lane of some of our favorite scandal eps ever Let's get into it. A reminder, this is a couple of years old. We hope you enjoy it. When David Beckham met Victoria Adams, he was so besotted he could barely speak. Little did the footballer know that together they'd become one of the most powerful, famous and, yes, scandalous couples of the 90s and noughties. Welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Mish, I am so excited for this series we are doing on Posh and Bex and their marriage and the controversies and the scandals and all of it. (laughs) Guys, we wanted some sugar. We know you wanted some sugar. And so what better story to retell other than the story of the Beckhams? Yeah, there is so much going on here. I was talking to someone the other day and I was telling them that we were about to do this and they said, Posh and Bex, what's the scandal there? And I said, Posh and Bex, what isn't the scandal? So if you are coming to this and only know David and Victoria Beckham because of their rock-solid marriage. There is a little bit under the surface of this. But that said, they are still pretty rock-solid for everything that's happened. Despite it all. Now, why do we in particular care about this story? You and I, I feel like, maybe I'm exaggerating, let me know. I feel like we have a special connection to like this family and I don't know why. We've always found the Beckhams fascinating. I have always found them fascinating, absolutely. I think why I wanted to do this, and I think you're the same, is in June 2018, in my last month or so working in women's media, I think your last month or so working in women's media, there was this huge story about Posh and Bex saying that they were going to split. Mm. And it was one of those stories that was like, there is no way this can just be a rumour. Like it picked up such steam that bookies, right, even stopped taking bets on whether they would split. It was like a sure thing. And then nothing ever happened. Nothing happened. It just like, it was the biggest tidal wave of a celebrity story. I was convinced. I'm like, well, they're definitely divorcing. They're definitely about to announce it. And then it just evaporated. It was like this massive wave just vanished and all of a sudden everything was smooth sailing again. 
Yeah, and they posed for Vogue that following September, so about three months later with a full happy family, and we kind of never heard about it again. And I feel like that is very indicative of the Posh and Bex marriage, that there have always been these intense rumours that not many people could come back from, and yet they always do. (laughs) So let's rewind, shall we? Let's go all the way back, Mish, to Victoria Adams' childhood. Let's do it. All right, Mish. So we're standing with Victoria Beckham. Who in the world was Victoria Beckham or should we say Victoria Adams before fame? Before fame, she was a pretty privileged, posh kind of girl, which kind of explains why she was named Posh Spice. So Victoria Adams was born in 1974 in the UK. She was raised alongside her two siblings in the affluent village of Broxburn in Hertfordshire. So she was renowned for having a posh accent, Zara. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think, I mean, it's no surprise given we know her as posh, but she did have a bit of money around her when she was growing up. So her dad was an electronics engineer. He apparently, and this is a pretty widely reported rumour, used to drive Victoria to school in a Rolls Royce. Now, according to The Guardian, she was so embarrassed about their expensive car that she begged him not to. (laughs) What? Yeah. Imagine being so wealthy you're embarrassed by your own wealth. Yeah, really interesting. The family also had a private pool in their house. Now, this isn't Australia where quite a few houses have pools. This is England and it wasn't quite as common back then. It's quite grey and gloomy in England. I would say that a pool is living to excess over there. Victoria was inspired to pursue a career in dance and musical theatre after watching the movie Fame. She told CNN in 2007, I always wanted to be a dancer when I was younger and fame was so inspiring. It made me want to come to New York and jump on a car. I even had a velour fame tracksuit with gold stitching. I had a fame bag too. (laughs) I love that a lot. Her parents did encourage her to pursue her dreams. They sent her to the Jason Theatre School. She also went on to attend the Lane Arts Theatre. Theatre College where she studied dance and modelling. Now, looking back on this time, Victoria has actually said that she was struggling. She addressed her younger self in this piece for Vogue in 2016, which was a pretty famous piece. She sort of wrote a letter to her younger self. And in that piece, she said, you are not the prettiest or the thinnest or the best at dancing at the Lane Theatre Arts College. You have never properly fitted in, although you are sharing your Surrey school digs with really nice girls. You have bad acne. You think the principal has put you at the back of the end of your show in a humiliating bright purple lycra leotard because you are too plump to go at the front. This may or may not be true. Yeah, even though life did revolve around dancing and singing for Victoria, Looking back, she said she also had this really intense interest in fashion too. She said, I used to customise my school uniforms. I loved clothes, hair and makeup. I've always been a real girly girl. Now, Spice Girls wasn't the first pop group that Victoria Beckham was a part of. Before she actually became globally famous, she was actually part of another pop group called Persuasion. I love that so much. It wasn't until 1994 when an 18-year-old Victoria had her big break. So the Spice Girls story, the way it kind of came to be, is quite an interesting one. This wasn't a group of friends who decided, hey, we all like singing and dancing, let's chuck out 
a song together or let's work together in a garage and produce music. This was very orchestrated. The Spice Girls were manufactured by the pop industry. Yeah, well, I think this is very much like an OG 1994 kind of X Factor Mm. competition, right? So the Spice Girls started with a newspaper ad and the newspaper ad called for 18 to 23-year-olds with the ability to sing and dance who were, and I quote, streetwise, outgoing, ambitious and dedicated. And they were asked to come forward and audition for an all-female pop act with a record deal. So you're right. The record company knew that there was probably a gap for an all-female pop group and they were going to kind of manufacture one. Yeah, and boy, did they do a good job. 400 girls crammed into a London studio and were whittled down to 10 and then five. The final five, as we know now, were, of course, Mel B, Mel C, Jerry Halliwell, Victoria and Michelle Stevenson, who was later replaced by Emma Bunton. Baby Spice. Baby Spice was my favourite. Who was your favourite? Um... I quite liked Posh, actually. Yeah. yeah. Posh and Baby always stood out to me. Like, Baby Spice was just like, I don't know. I just liked it. Nice and sweet. <laughs> Mel B and Mel C auditioned with pop songs, but Victoria actually chose a musical number, a cabaret musical number, and actually received the highest scores at the audition. Now, I feel like this might surprise people because when the Spice Girls got as big as we know them to be, I feel like the running joke or the running assumption was that Victoria Beckham couldn't sing. Yeah, absolutely. The assumption was Victoria is very attractive but doesn't have musical talent, which we know now to be completely false. If she scored the highest scores at this audition, she probably had the most talent. I think what happened here is that Victoria was that kind of musical theatre talent and when you try and translate that into pop music, maybe it just didn't translate as seamlessly. Yeah, look at you, music expert. (laughs) Come to me for all your music knowledge. Sure, that sounds about right. Can singers back me up? I reckon that's right. (laughs) Well, the five of them were actually selected to be part of a girl band that was actually initially called Touch, right? So they moved into a three-bedroom house in Berkshire. Do they have to share beds? Well, that's the Five of them in three bedrooms. Yeah, quite humbling for the Spice Girls. (laughs) And they spent most of the year practising songs that had been written for them. But Jerry, Jerry Halliwell, thought they should change their name to Spice to be more reflective of the brand's diversity. And from there, the Spice Girls were born. Yeah, along with the rest of the girls, Victoria became a sensation, like absolute pop sensation. But to say it was an overnight success would be incorrect. Yes, their debut album, Wannabe, did extraordinarily well. It sold 73,000 copies in its first week. But that was released in 1996, so two years after the band was formed. They were really working away at this behind the scenes. That album, Wannabe, went to number one in the UK and the United States, as well as 35 other countries. I'm sure Australia would be on that list, surely. I'm so sure as well. It's a funny one because people do kind of regard the Sparse Girls as having an overnight success, and I kind of understand where that thought has come from because they came from or they were essentially plucked from obscurity Mm -hmm. into international global fame and that the minute their first track was into the world they were globally famous but it's not like they did this audition and then the next day this all happened. So the band's first album Spice was released in 1996 and went on to sell more than 23 million copies worldwide making it the best-selling album by a female group in history. I feel like people understand 
undersell the Spice Girls these days. Like, that's incredible. Yeah, it is pretty insane. Now, that is Victoria Adams. Everyone put her to one side in your mind. Because, Zara, we have to introduce the other key player in this story. Yes, his name would be David Beckham, of course. Now, unlike Victoria, David Beckham actually grew up in a working class family. He was born in May 1975, so he was actually only a year younger than Victoria. His mum was a hairdresser. His dad was a kitchen fitter. He has an older sister and a younger sister. Yeah, and he always had big sporting dreams. So he once said at school, whenever the teachers asked, what do you want to do when you're older? I'd say, I want to be a footballer. And they'd say, no, what do you really want to do for a job? But that was the only thing I ever wanted to do. That interview with W Magazine is a really, really sweet one. And I think shows just how laser focused David Beckham was on a sporting career from the earliest of ages. I think you kind of have to be yeah. when you learn about how young David Beckham was when he was tapped on the shoulder and kind of pegged as the next big thing. As a kid, he always, as the New York Times put, had, and I quote, the drive to get out of bed, to bolt down breakfast and to get out with the ball. His dad helped coach the local club's youth team, which David joined when he was just eight, By the age of 10, he'd scored 100 goals. (laughs) By 11, he won a national skills competition, which started to earn him a little bit of attention. And by the age of 12, a scout saw David and he was given a trial at Man U. Now, like I said, you have to have that drive if at 12 years old, before you're even in high school, Man U are tapping you on the shoulder saying, we want you to play for us in like 10 years. That is insane. Like it's insanity. At the age of 14, David decided to really pursue this dream. He rented a room in Manchester and enrolled in Man U's training academy. So if you read an article in Britain's magazine, Football Times, it really sums up this time in David Beckham's life really well. The article read, most 14th birthdays are comprised of eating cake, spending time with friends and family and opening presents such as new phones or a bike. Beckham spent his in a corporate box wearing a shirt and blazer before being handed a tie. This wasn't just any tie. It had a complete red surface broken only by one adorning emblem, the crest of Manchester United Football Club. Beckham had spent the afternoon in the company of none other than Sir Alex Ferguson. Now, Sir Alex Ferguson, for anyone who is not a football fan, is probably the most iconic, the most famous football manager of all time. So this is a 14-year-old kid, right, who is playing with adults. Mm. Like you have to grow up incredibly quickly when you are 14 and you're not doing what other 14-year-olds are. But all of this commitment did pay off by 16 years old, which was July 1991. He had officially signed for Manchester United as a trainee and he continued to quite literally score goals. And in January 1993, he finally signed as a professional player for Manchester United. I find this incredible, the levels with which you have to go through before you're properly on the team. You're like 12 when you get scouted, 14 when you're at a training camp, 16 when you're a trainee, and then after that, you can finally become a player. Well, think of all the almost David yes. Beckham. So many kids go through these training academies, go through this process, think that their lives are destined for greatness. And then it doesn't always pan out that way. Like, for every David Beckham, there's probably a hundred kids who went through the same process but didn't quite make it. And it also makes you wonder and realise how much money is in this yes. industry. So much money. And then just as a sidebar, which is a completely unrelated point, it also makes you despair a little bit for women's sport because you don't have this amount of money 
fostering talent from the age of 12. Yeah, absolutely. All that priority. Like women aren't given the priority when it comes to their sport or their dreams. Whereas young boys... As good as that is, I want that for both boys and for young girls. Boys are told, yes, go do this at the age of 12, 14, 16, whatever. Women are kind of told, "Uh, maybe do this at the same time as your career when you're 25. Keep studying, keep going to work. It's never going to earn you enough money. That is a pretty big side (laughs) So the most we kind of know about David Beckham, particularly around the time that he was about to meet Victoria Adams, was that his skills were becoming so renowned that people would start to say Bender like Beckham, right? Which obviously later became a movie, which we will touch on, but he became iconic and so did both of his left and right foot. Which is so funny because you and I, while we were researching this, along with our researcher, Justine, we were kind of like... We know he's good, but how good is he? So we found ourselves going back through old YouTube videos to actually watch clips of him playing football and really couldn't believe, like even as two women who aren't really soccer fans, couldn't believe what he could do with a ball. Like he is just incredible. That said... I think you and I don't really know that much about him on the soccer field and we will put that on the record. There are probably many, many of soccer fan listening to this cringing a little bit. I don't think people are coming here for our soccer commentary, <laughs> to be totally honest with you. His talent and dedication is definitely what put him on the map, but... What I find very interesting about David Beckham and perhaps what's not surprising with hindsight is that people have also remarked about how well he works the media. Now, there was a quote from Roger Bennett, who is the host of NBC soccer show at Men in Blazers, and he told GQ he always knew where the cameras were. When his team scored goals, no one was quicker to jump on the back of the goal scorer and lift himself up on their shoulders. Mm, So we have been introduced to Victoria. We have been introduced to David. How did they get introduced to each other? We are going to find out after the break. All right, Mish. So at the point where Victoria and David met, David wasn't that famous. Mm. He was well known, but he wasn't as famous as we know him to be today. Victoria, very famous. So they met because of their respective careers, right? Yeah, absolutely. So what we do know is that Victoria first came on to David's radar when he was actually watching television. So she, along with the Spice Girls, were on the television. She was wearing a PVC cat suit. And apparently he turned to teammate Gary Neville and said, that one there, that's the girl I'm going to marry. Do you believe these stories? I don't. Every celebrity has one. Like Katie Holmes with Tom Cruise, Victoria and David Beckham. I'm trying to think of the other celebrities (laughs) who've done in Scandal. But I feel like This is always the way that people say, oh, yeah, well, I love that person. I want to be with that person in the future. And then it ends up happening. What I think might be happening here about these quotes, because they are coming up a little bit, is famous people, like you and I aren't dating anyone famous. (laughs) So it's not like you see them on your television before you start dating them. I imagine that famous people see other famous people on the television a lot and probably say this about a whole lot of people and then because they've cast their net so wide, one of them ends up coming off. (laughs) Or maybe they don't say that person there, I'm going to marry them, but or that person there, I want to date them, or that person there is incredibly attractive or things that are a bit more feasible. Well, I would love to think that David and 
his teammate Gary Neville was super wholesome. But can I imagine two pro footy players in the rooms pointing to a TV and saying, I'm going to marry that girl? More likely they probably pointed to her and went, she's fucking hot. And be- Yeah, she looks beautiful. But Beckham's bravado actually did fail him the first time they met. So the first time they met was when Victoria actually attended one of his games in London. So she went there with her manager and Mel C, which was Sporty Spice. And after the game, she was invited to the Players Lounge. Now, David barely spoke to her. He did admit to W Magazine about this first meeting. I'm quite shy. I just sort of waved from the other side of the bar. So even her manager, Simon Fuller, arranged an introduction, but all David could muster was a quick hello. And apparently he agonised over the missed opportunity for days, recalling, and I quote, he was quite upset and gutted. I love this so much. The next week, luckily, David got another chance because Victoria was attending another Manchester United game. Word spread around the locker room that I'm she sure was it back. <laughs> and he... He was thinking to himself, as we now know in various interviews, he was telling himself, please let it be posh. Like, I need a second chance to make it right. Yeah. So he knew that there were Spice Girls there. He just wasn't sure who it was going to be. So again, she came into the Players Lounge and talking about this meeting to Jimmy Fallon in 2020, David Beckham said she'd had a couple of drinks. So I decided, why not? I'll try and get her number. We talked for about an hour in the Players Lounge. She actually got the train up that day. So she wrote her number down on her train ticket, which I still have. Oh, for Victoria, this was love at first sight. She wrote for Vogue in 2016 in that letter to her younger self that we touched on earlier, Zara. Yes, love at first sight does exist. It will happen to you in the Manchester United Players Lounge, although you will get a little drunk, so exact details are hazy. While the other football players stand at the bar drinking with their mates, you will see David standing aside with his family. He's not even in the first team at this stage. You are the famous one, and he has such a cute smile. You too are close to your family and you will think how similar he feels to you. She said that at the time she didn't really know who he was because she'd never really been into football. But she said she could sense from the start that, and I quote, David was a gentleman and very family oriented, which is very important because I'm the same. Mm. Now, he rang her the next day after he got her number. He was apparently very nervous and then drove down to London to see her that night. Yeah. Victoria has admitted that, weirdly enough, a lot of her first dates were in car parks around the <laughs> So it sounds so seedy. I don't get it. Her manager had apparently warned her to not let anyone see her be out and about. So I'm guessing the car parks thing was like a privacy tinted windows in a car thing. But you would just think that a house would be better. Right? Like yeah. car parks and cars are not exactly closed off from the world. Would maybe paparazzi knew where she lived though? If paparazzi were on her front doorstep and she was bringing a football player Hotel? into her house. Yeah, hotel, but then I don't, I don't know. We'd have to ask Victoria herself. She did say that on their first date, they sat in a car park in David's BMW and that they spent hours talking. Yeah, so she said of their early kind of few dates, for the first three dates, he was so shy, he didn't even kiss me. He finally got around to it while we were at my parents' house after our fourth date. It was worth the wait. So... Mm. Has she introduced him to her parents before they've actually kissed? I'm guessing. Yeah. I'm guessing Sweet. like that would have been the time when he came over, met mum and dad, then they're sitting quietly together and he kisses her for the first time. This is just so not how I imagined they would have gotten together. I'm not saying they're like promiscuous or whatever, 
But to go four dates without even kissing each other, to have this real shyness that got in the way of them almost being a thing, is just incongruous, I think, with the kind of David Beckham image we see in the public eye. Yeah, I think it's important to note at this time as well, they were very young. Mm. They were really early 20s. Mm, Absolutely. So according to the Arise Sir David Beckham biography written by Gwen Russell, Victoria said, I fell in love with David very quickly. I knew within a couple of weeks of that first kiss. I've had boyfriends before, I've been engaged before, but it never felt like it has with David. We just work so well together and being with him him feels so right. I wanted to tell the world, but I had to hold back. I wanted to be sure he felt the same way, but he did. We were at my parents again. David told me that he loved me and I said, I love you too. And that was that. That is a lovely quote. And if you listen to that quote and thought, hang on a second, (laughs) Victoria Beckham was engaged before she met David. She was. She was actually engaged to an electrician by the name of Mark Wood, who she dated from the age of 14 to 20. High school sweetheart vibes. Yeah. So almost the minute the Spice Girls seemed to take off, that relationship fell apart when she was about 20. You can imagine your lives start to change Mm. quite dramatically. And also being with someone from the age of 14 is quite formative, but Mm. quite a long time. Now, in January 1998, just a year after they met, David and Victoria announced their engagement. Apparently, they had decided to get engaged while Victoria was at the Spice World movie premiere that month in LA. Yeah. Do you remember that film? I do. I need to rewatch it though. I remember loving it, but if you asked me for any of the plot lines of what actually happens, I couldn't tell you one. I think what I remember is that they had like this sick tour bus and all <laughs> I wanted to do was be on it, but that's all I remember. So what it sounds like anyway is that they had both mutually come to the decision to get married, really mature at quite a young age and he just had to plan the actual popping of the question so it sounds like she was overseas working he was in London they decided to get engaged and they were just sort of waiting for her to come back to work out what it was going to look like yeah so according to that biography written by Gwen Russell that we touched on before for the proposal itself they checked into a hotel straight after David's game with Man U Victoria was apparently presented with 30 roses before being escorted to their room which was festooned with 200 pounds worth of red and yellow lilies after getting into their bathrobes and ordering champagne to the room, David popped the question. She said in the book, we were sitting there in our dressing gowns when David pulled out the ring, got down on one knee and said, will you marry me, Victoria? Well, (laughs) so sweet. It is quite sweet. She was 23 and he was just 22. And at a press conference when they announced their engagement, They smiled quite shyly for the cameras. Like Mm. David was wearing this black turtleneck (laughs) with a navy coat. Victoria was wearing a fur jacket and a black turtleneck dress. So good to know the turtlenecks have never really gone out of style. (laughs) And she said to the media as they were asking her about the engagement and about the ring, I'm embarrassed now, stop it. And she was kind of shyly pretending to go back inside. She then flashed the ring, which was an engagement ring worth about $85,000 reportedly and added that it it was a surprise as well, which is a bit incongruous with the other reports that we'd heard that they (laughs) had agreed to get engaged, but... Who knows? All we know that they got engaged, they were very, very happy, but they were also very young and didn't seem, at least from the footage that we've watched back at this time, to demand 
the space and a room in the way that they do now? No, not at all. They were incredibly meek and incredibly shy in that scene in particular. Back to A Rise by Sir David Beckham, that book written by Gwen Russell, David was quoted as saying, I like Victoria for herself, not anything else. I'd like her if she worked in Tesco. We both understand the pressures of fame and encourage each other to ignore it or we laugh about it. She's more famous than me anyway. Some days I find four or five girls crying outside the front door. I can't understand how people get like that. Before researching this, I truly didn't understand just how big Victoria's profile was compared to David Beckham's when they got together. Because I think she has the trope of being a bit of a wag sometimes, that people think she hitched her wagon to David Beckham and her star climbed in conjunction with his. It's almost the inverse of that. She was the big star and he gained a profile much later. Exactly. We should add as well that since that first engagement, David has reportedly given Victoria 15 different (laughs) engagement rings over the years. Now, I don't really know why, whether he just buys them for her as a surprise or they choose them together. But look, she has clearly... Quite the ring collection. Is it possible that the media has made this a 15 different engagement ring story when he's just bought her 15 different rings across their relationship? Absolutely. Like, absolutely. Because I was thinking, I'm like, does he propose every time? I'm like, no, you fucking idiot. The tabloids have just latched onto this. She just owns 15 rings. Or like an anniversary ring. Like there are so many different ways that it could be framed Mm. or sold. Now, in July of that year, They fell pregnant with their first child, Brooklyn. So according to that Arise biography, Victoria said, when I told David I was pregnant, he just started weeping. He must have cried for about an hour and I had tears running down my face too. It was a very emotional moment for both of us. The baby wasn't planned, so it was a surprise mixed with real delight. I think telling David he was going to be a dad really put things in perspective for him. Cute. This pregnancy with Brooklyn was very highly publicised. So when Victoria was seven months pregnant, She actually posed with David for Vogue Britain and her bump was the very centre of the photograph. They did welcome Brooklyn, of course, in March 1999. David was papped, walking around carrying a bunch of balloons that said things like lovely baby boy and Victoria. He also was carrying a Simba and Nala plush toy. (laughs) Yeah, so if there was one way you want to break the news to the press, I think carrying a balloon that says lovely baby boy (laughs) is going to do it. Victoria explained that they chose the name Brooklyn because, and I quote, we already knew he was a boy and so I knew he could end up a footballer. So it had to be a name that was a bit blokey. I always had liked the name Brooke and then we suddenly thought about Brooklyn. I'd always liked it as a place and it was only afterwards that I realised how appropriate it was because it was in New York that I found out I was pregnant and where David came after the World Cup. So we know the story behind Brooklyn's name. Can we please get to one of my favourite Beckham stories and that is the story of their wedding. Absolutely we can. It is the 4th of July 1999. I'm so excited. It is the day that Victoria Adams marries David Beckham and it becomes one of the world's most memorable British celebrity weddings, I would say almost more than the royal wedding. And can we put it on the record? Some of you were not stoked with how we spoke about Chloe Kardashian's lilac wedding sash. Well, just you wait. (laughs) I think we need to have like an amnesty that if we are discussing historical celebrity weddings, we can have fun with it. I'm sure the celebrities look back at this shit and go, what the fuck was I thinking? I'm sure I'll do that with my own wedding in 10 years time. Well, we know for a fact 
David Beckham has, but we will get to that in a second. So David and Victoria got married at a castle on the outskirts of Dublin in Ireland. Now, this place is fancy, of course. It is fancy. (laughs) It twice hosted Queen Victoria in 1844 and 1900 and lies on a 560-acre estate. Yeah, this guest list was pretty star-studded. It included the entire Spice Girls, obviously, David's Manchester United and England teammates and footballer Gary Neville, who was his best man. (laughs) I don't know why Gary is such a feature of this show. He's been in here like twice or three times already. (laughs) For the ceremony, Victoria wore a Vera Wang strapless satin ball gown with a corseted top and full skirt. Now she paired it with a diamond and gold tiara and a crucifix necklace that David had gifted her. I do have to say... When I think about David and Victoria's wedding, I think about their reception outfits that we're going to talk about in a second. I do not think about her wedding dress. Mm. But going back through the archives and going back through images, this wedding dress, as far as celebrity wedding dresses go, is pretty timeless. Yes, it has stood the test of time for sure. If you haven't seen it and you want a visual... The best explanation I can give is the wedding dress that Carrie Bradshaw got married in on Sex and the City, I think has a very similar bodice structure vibe to this dress that Victoria Adams slash Victoria Beckham got married in. She did a good job. Not all of her outfits from this time stood the test of time, but the wedding dress (laughs) certainly did. My favourite detail from the Victoria and David Beckham wedding is the bouquet. Is that really your favourite detail? Well, it's my favourite detail because it literally looks like, this might be harsh, it looks like she's reached into a bush, grabbed shrubbery, and is just holding it in front of her wedding dress. Like, I've never seen such an atrocious bouquet in my life. I'm so sorry. It does look a bit like a big bird's nest and it does have random apples through it. (laughs) Who puts apples in their bouquet? We will have a photo of this on our Instagram at (laughs) Shameless Podcast by the time you are listening to this episode. David wore a completely white suit. Now the jacket looks so long it looks like a coat and their four-month-old son Brooklyn was also wearing a matching white outfit and served as a ring bearer. How? I don't know. (laughs) The minute I said that I was like four-month-old is a blob. (laughs) He's not useless. He's literally like not moving. I don't know how he's presenting his parents with the rings, but let's not let truth get in the way of a good story. The Sun reported that for the ceremony, the couple sat on huge purple and gold thrones as they said their vows in front of a massive display of red and purple flowers. Purple and gold is clearly something people love for their weddings. That's what Chloe and Lamar did for theirs as well. Yeah, but some 10 years later. Later in the day, though, both Victoria and David changed into those infamous purple ensembles that I did touch on before. So David wore an entirely purple suit with a top hat. (laughs) Victoria wore a purple one-shoulder dress with big purple flowers sprouting from the strap. Now, according to the Evening Standard, this wedding actually had a Robin Hood theme. So that's why, and maybe that explains, the dark leafy green bouquets (laughs) That was incorporated into the decor and especially Victoria's bouquet. Also explains why they released doves after reading their vows and why their cake was decorated with fruit and leaves. The best part was that the cake was also topped with nude sculptures of Posh and Bex as well. Elton John was supposed to play at this wedding, but because he sadly had a heart attack, 
he had to end up playing at one of the kids' christenings instead and there was no performance by Elton at the wedding. Yeah. According to The Sun, they flew a flag from the top of the castle with their initials <laughs> and they were able to sell their wedding photos to OK Magazine for over a million pounds. Now, speaking on Desert Island Discs many, many years later, David Beckham did talk about this wedding and how iconic it has been and maybe how iconic some of the decisions they made were. He said, that was pretty bold. Victoria's reception outfit was pretty nice. Mine, I'm like, what was I thinking? I look like the guys out of Dumb and Dumber when they went to that party and wore those ridiculous outfits. I even had a top hat in purple. Unbelievable. What was I thinking? Yeah, despite all of the theatrics and the semi-bizarre aesthetic choices, people at this wedding knew that Victoria and David Beckham were really the real deal. So Mel B from the Spice Girls told Fabulous Magazine in 2014, that wedding day was perfect. I remember looking at them and thinking these two would be unbreakable. It wasn't just that they were besotted with each other. It was the fact that they could make each other laugh. Vicky is one of the funniest women on the planet and she is completely herself when she's with him. They've grown up together. They know each other inside out. They've got through good times and bad times and that's a real relationship. I really like this quote because I think what I love about it so much is that she says Vicky is one of the funniest women on the planet. I mean, we know Victoria Beckham now has had a history of being accused of being quite pouty, of being quite scowly, of what we would call now having a resting bitch face. And so much of that commentary has been so incredibly gendered, Mm. it feels, right? Like it feels so incredibly gendered. And yet you hear reports and interviews from friends and people in Victoria's life who say she is the lighthearted one. She is the not serious one out of this relationship. She is the funny one and she doesn't take much too seriously at all. And it just shows a lot about how we really flatten women in the public eye because of the pat photos we might take of them. Yeah, absolutely. So we know that when they got married, they were already on their way towards becoming iconic British celebrities. But by the year 2000, that really was cemented. So that was the year that the script for the movie Bend It Like Beckham was written. Megastar Kira Knightley signed on to act in that film. It was released in April 2002 to huge success. I mean, imagine having such a massive profile that your surname can sell a blockbuster film that you're not even associated with. Yeah, and it was like so tied to him. David Beckham was mentioned so much in that movie. Mm. It's such an iconic movie. The film had a budget of $6 million. It made more than $100 million at the box office, so it just smashed any expectation out of the park. And I would argue, great for David Beckham's brand. Yes, absolutely. for David Beckham's brand. In 2000, so around the time that Bend It Like Beckham was written, the Spice Girls released their third studio album, Forever, which was a little bit less successful than their first two albums. So the band and then went on hiatus but did promise that they weren't splitting up for good, although they did come together on and off over the course of the years after that. Victoria probably distanced herself from the band more than the others. I think because perhaps like a Harry Styles, she had the strongest personal brand. Yeah, absolutely. She knew that she could go off on her own and succeed in doing that. David Beckham was appointed the captain of the English soccer team in the year 2000 when he was just 25. He was a football hero and he really proved his worth to that team after he scored a last minute free kick against Greece, which allowed England to 
to qualify for the 2002 World Cup. So, again, an icon. Well, that's the kind of thing that people don't forget. Mm. Like, that is just the kind of thing that football fans never forget. By 2001, they had this profile that was equal parts iconic, but also they were regarded, I think, in British culture as a tiny bit trashy. A right? tiny bit, yeah, the Australian or the British version of Australia's bogans. Yes. And so according to The Guardian in 2001, they were grilled by Ali G for comic relief at this time. Now, Ali G, of course, was the satirical fictional character created and performed by Sasha Baron Cohen. Now, in a 40-minute chat with Ali G, which, by the way, would be my worst nightmare <laughs> because you're never the one coming off well in no. these things. He asked, so there are some people who suddenly get loads of money who become very tasteless. How have you two managed to avoid that? That is obviously a sarcastic joke pointing at just how, I don't know another word other than trashy, the mm. world saw them. Like yeah. people had them in really high regard but in equal parts sort of they were a bit of a joke. Yeah, I think like that age old saying money doesn't buy you class or money doesn't buy you taste was very much thrown at this couple in this time. On the 1st of September 2002, they also welcomed their second son, Romeo Beckham. Now, you could say that this family at this point in time was considered pretty blissful. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think both David and Victoria have looked back on the earlier years of their marriage and said that they were a lovely time. However, what was really interesting is that their relationship up until this point, up until Romeo, hadn't actually been seamless. Before they even got married, there was a cheating rumour that kind of rocked their relationship. So mm. I feel like when you've got that under the relationship before you get married, it's a bit like a moving tectonic plate mm. that has the ability to blow. Now, we discovered how much this rumour affected Victoria well before they even got married in her 2001 autobiography, Learning to Fly. Now, she admitted that while she was pregnant with their first child, Brooklyn, she punched David after he was accused of cheating on her with another woman. Yeah. So apparently in Victoria's retelling of this scene, David called Victoria to say that he had been accused of kissing someone else while she was away with the Spice Girls on tour. The next time Victoria saw David, she wrote, and I quote, that she went straight up to him and just swung at him, punched him. Now, apparently David continued to protest his innocence, but she was so distraught that she reportedly suffered suicidal thoughts around this time. Now, it goes without saying, we absolutely do not condone violence in any circumstance. And I think if anything, this would be written and spoken about very differently in 2021 to what it was 20 years ago. Yeah, exactly. So they fled apparently to Lake Como in Italy to work things out and they kind of patched things up. They got married and now David moves to Spain, actually. Mm. He's got a contract with Real Madrid and it's a deal worth apparently £35 million. Now, just to put that in context, it isn't £35 million per year. It is about £6 million per year, but that is still about $11 million per year, not including sponsorship money. So I think it is fair to say 
He was doing quite well for himself. He was doing very, very well for himself. But that does not mean that his life was going to be smooth sailing. So he signs in June 2003, moves across. And around this time, his management firm, SFX, assign him a new assistant. Her name is Rebecca Luz. She is the daughter of a Dutch diplomat and an English mother. She's been living in Spain for a while so she can kind of show David the ropes and show him the ropes she did. Yeah, so by September 2003, only a few months after David had been living in Spain, we heard the first whisperings that something might be going on between David and Rebecca. And the reason we had these kind of whispers and rumours is largely because some photos were published of the two of them out sitting very close together and chatting at a nightclub together. Mm. And so people started wondering if the Beckham marriage was in trouble. Yeah, so these photos were hitting papers and they were so I mean I don't want to overstate it they're intimate they're very very friendly without being damning I guess I would say yeah and it's the kind of thing where you're like okay nothing's happening but if that was my partner and I am monogamous with that partner how would I realistically feel about that yeah it kind of reminds me of where there's a tiny bit of smoke, you might think that there's fire. It's one of those kind of photos, one of those kinds of stories. It did actually prompt David Beckham to come out and say that his marriage was totally intact and things were fine and people were reading into nothing. Yeah, exactly. But unfortunately for David Beckham, the year later, in April 2004, the now defunct and very notorious British tabloid News of the World published a pretty shocking five-page article alleging that David and Rebecca had a four-month-long affair. Now, what is so interesting about this story is the journalist who wrote the story, Neville Thurlbeck, actually wrote a book about his career and it's called Tabloid Secrets, The Stories Behind the Headlines. Now, in this book, he went into very great detail of how this story broke and my goodness, (laughs) it's a little bit like a spy operation. It is so interesting. I love so, so much that we can actually track this entire story, not just how it played out in the media, but how it played out behind the scenes because there's so much content on it. So Neville Thurlbeck wrote in that book, Tabloid Secrets, that one night in March, his editor called him and asked him to drop everything on his plate because the biggest story of the year was about to drop. Yeah. So he got this phone call in March and he said, drop everything, come to the office. It was an evening and he would be briefed on a new story. In the meantime, he was told he wasn't to speak to anyone in the office. It was very much like, trust no one, don't tell (laughs) anyone. When Neville arrived, his boss explained to him that David Beckham had just ended an affair with his personal assistant, Rebecca Luz, and that Rebecca had been fired by the family after Victoria became suspicious and had been approached by publicity agent Max Clifford. So she'd been the assistant, she's got fired, and she's suddenly gone, I'm going to find myself a publicity agent probably because I'm ready to tell this story. Sounds a little bit like retribution. So Rebecca was willing to tell her story to News of the World and show them proof. She was willing to put up hundreds of text messages that she and David had exchanged in the time she says they were together. She was asking for the price of £100,000 and the paper was more than happy to meet her request. I mean, I know this was almost 20 years ago, but £100,000 seems a little cheap for me. This is one of the biggest celebrities in the country. I thought it would have been a little bit more than that. No, I mean, it's still so (laughs) much money. So much money just to tell a story. I mean, this was just for 
the first story, right? Rebecca's publicist, Max Clifford, told The Guardian that the paper actually ended up paying her £350,000 in total, so about 700000 Australian dollars. That's more like it. <laughs> for the interview and all the raunchy texts that she later gave the paper. So this was like a layered deal where it was like the more detail and the more proof you give us, the more money you make. So Neville Thurlbeck, the journalist, says he flew to Madrid straight away to meet with Rebecca Luz. And he said in this book, the story felt so huge that when he checked into his hotel, he booked three different suites (laughs) under a false name to prevent any rival reporters from finding him and catching wind of the story. So crazy. Rebecca apparently showed Neville all the explicit messages and sex she claims that she received from David, but they all came from a series of different numbers, right? We know that celebrities change their numbers frequently because they don't want their personal details leaked. Especially the teeny ones. Especially the ones who perhaps stray from their marriages. Now, Neville did remark that Beckham changed his number like other men changed their socks. For two weeks, he hid out with Rebecca trying to catch David in an act of cheating. They were trying to prompt David to text Rebecca from his most recent number. But David never did. He never kind of fell into their mousetrap. Two weeks is a long time waiting for a text message, isn't it? With basically a stranger as well. So eventually what they did is they taped Rebecca calling David and he never says that when she rang him, the line was quiet and then suddenly whoever was on the other end burst into what Neville describes as boyish giggles. Bizarre. Super bizarre. (laughs) Now, Neville did say they almost dropped the story. That was until he and Rebecca discovered a piece of paper amongst her possessions. Now, at the top of this piece of paper was the company details of Beckham's management company at the bottom of the page written in David's handwriting they're literally going to the lengths to like cross-check handwriting here (laughs) was his name followed by a phone number now that phone number had texted raunchy messages to not only Rebecca but another woman News of the World was in contact with who also claimed she had an affair with David. Yeah, a smoking gun. Now, just before this story was due to hit the papers, hours before it was due to hit the papers, the loyal publicist for the Beckhams, Caroline McAteer, received two calls to her mobile phone. Both calls were from the editors of major newspapers who wanted her comment on the story they had just seen was about to be printed in Sunday's edition of News of the World. The Guardian wrote about this and said, Mikatir listened as the story was read down the phone. For once, one of the best connected PRs of the London show business scene was out of the loop. Then she had the unhappy duty of phoning Beckham. Imagine that phone call. The five-page story hit the paper that Sunday morning and it claimed that David, and I quote, took his beautiful personal assistant, Rebecca Luz, to bed just 90 minutes after this picture of the two of them together was taken at a club. The lonely England soccer ace turned to the 26-year-old privately educated daughter of a Dutch diplomat for comfort after feeling abandoned by wife Posh in their troubled long-distance marriage. Now, this is something that we will see very consistently through this story as David cheats on Victoria while they're doing a semi sort of long distance relationship Mm. is the framing of their marriage is very much like poor lonely David, Victoria has abandoned him. Of course, he was going to turn to other women when his wife wasn't around, even though he was the one that moved 
all the way to Spain to play soccer. He made the decision to leave. So bizarre that you can try and argue that Victoria abandoned him when she is literally in their family home in the UK. She hasn't abandoned anyone. He decided to move and take a job elsewhere. It is literally this idea that David Beckham is this golden boy, like this adorable golden retriever who just is sometimes silly and doesn't know better. And he's got this ice queen wife who forced him to fall into bed with his assistant. Yeah, and I think the other element to this is that Victoria is sitting at home with the kids. Like Victoria is looking after these children and it speaks very much to how much we value men's jobs over women's. Like not only did Victoria have a huge career of her own, she had to look after two children and yet we are seeing this narrative of her abandoning him even though she has all of these things as well. It, It just very much speaks to why we only value a male career. Now, the article that was published on this Sunday morning also wrote about, and I quote, the stream of graphic text messages telling her what he wanted to do to her in bed. This is where it gets pretty graphic and, dare I say, a bit grubby. Yeah, one of my favourite details about this story and the way it was curated is that News of the World didn't name Rebecca Luz as their source. (laughs) So this entire piece was written from the perspective of an unnamed close source to Rebecca, which is a very interesting way to go about things. In fact, The article even stated when we confronted Rebecca, who speaks perfect English about her relationship, she said, I'm afraid I have no comment for you. Please leave me alone. Now, as I said, everything was attributed to a close family friend who Rebecca confided in about her astonishing secret. Very, very interesting lie because I don't know how close a family friend would have to be to receive the hundreds of raunchy, graphic, explicit text messages between you and the married man you're sleeping with. Like, is that a lie the public's going to buy? Yeah, well, I don't know when you read lines like this, right? Because the level of detail here was pretty insane. This was a line from the piece. She said David's stamina was extraordinary. She could feel his energy pulsating through her as he made love to her on the bed. There was another quote that said, David was a sensational lover. Their sex was highly charged, explosive. They made love for hours. Can you imagine telling someone else that level of detail about your own sex life and then them repeating it to somebody else. That just simply does not happen. Also, can we ban the word explosive when talking about sex? It's just not something I want to read about. By lunchtime the Sunday that the article came out, David Beckham had already issued a statement describing the story as ludicrous. Technically, he didn't outright deny anything, but he did say this. During the past few months, I have become accustomed to reading more and more ludicrous stories about my private life. What appeared this morning is just one further example. The simple truth is that I am happily married, have a wonderful wife and two very special kids. But I am not saying whether or not I had this affair. The Daily Mail published a follow-up article interviewing Rebecca's brother, John Charles, who said that what was being written about in the tabloids was true. I mean, we know it was true because Rebecca was the one speaking to the tabloids, but the world didn't know that yet. In this piece, he said, she has confirmed to me she had an affair with David. Rebecca was upset when she parted company with David and Victoria last year. She became very down and cried a lot. At times she looked heartbroken. I thought it was because of more professional reasons, but now I am beginning to understand there must have been more to it. Yeah. And look, as much as we can giggle at this story, You can understand on some levels how a junior employee of a very powerful sports star 
could become aggrieved that her professional career has been paused or taken down a few rungs because she chose to enter a sexual relationship with him. Like it does scream to this power dynamic where men can kind of, or historically men could sleep with junior staff members, assistants, whatever, and their careers wouldn't be tarnished, but the women involved would be. I totally agree with that. There is a power dynamic at play here, but it would be foolish of us to call her completely young. She was 26 Mm. when this happened. And also she made some decisions in the wake of this affair that affected a whole lot of people. Oh yeah. Not defending the way she handled it. What I can say is that I do understand where maybe some of the upset and anger came from. She did not handle that upset and anger and channel it in a positive way whatsoever. Now, her brother did say to the News of the World that his heartbroken sister would now be seen as a marriage wrecker, adding she knows her life will never be the same after this. Now, that's very interesting because we do know that she's the one who cultivated the entire thing. She knew that her life wouldn't be the same because she was the one who put herself in the spotlight. Yeah, she broke this story. Like if she didn't want to share this story, no one was going to force her to. Now, the Daily Mail also reported on what was supposedly going on behind the scenes in the Beckham family around this time. So apparently within hours of the allegations surfacing, a, quote, devastated Victoria flew out of the UK with their two sons to Switzerland on this pre-planned family holiday. Her parents, sister and David's mum were all coming on this trip. Imagine going on a holiday with your partner's mother, your mother-in-law, just hours after it's been alleged that your husband has cheated on you. You'd hope that the mother-in-law is very much in your corner, right? Being like, my son is an absolute idiot. (laughs) David apparently made the decision to fly out of Madrid to join his wife and family in Switzerland after the story was printed. So they put on this big sort of Mm. happy, united front. One of her close friends was quoted in the Daily Mail. Now, it was an unnamed close friend, but apparently a close friend at that saying she was absolutely devastated. And while the tone of the alleged sexy text messages, she said, was just not David. She also said, and this is a really interesting quote, Victoria is very astute. She knows how newspapers work and the fact that they were certain enough to run the story worries her. Mm. This is probably one of my favourite quotes from this episode. And I know it sounds a bit random for me to pick this out, but I appreciate the image that either someone in Victoria's camp is trying to sell a Victoria being like, she is not an idiot here. Mm. I think one of the narratives that the media has been trying to sell a Victoria Beckham for a long time is that she is sort of a bit of a doormat, but she knows she's absolutely smart enough to know that she can't just turn her back to this. Like she does have to approach it head on. Yeah. I think as well, there's always another dimension to these kind of scandal stories that yes, some people are outraged and some people are disappointed and lots of people are talking about it. There's always this added layer though, of like becoming a joke, like you and your husband or your relationship has this joke element to it now, which would be very difficult to deal with as well. According to The Guardian, there was almost this national guessing game of trying to figure out exactly what David had written to Rebecca Luce because some of the explicit words were censored out. So they were just appearing as asterisks or stars in the newspaper. And there was this national desire to figure out exactly what David was texting her. And I think as David's wife, that would be very difficult for Victoria to deal with as well, that you're not just being kind of dragged through the press, you're being mocked at the same time. Yeah, and it's a hard one because as much as you can say, God, that would be really tough for Victoria, on the other hand, 
it's very human to mm. read these messages. As someone who is invested in the story, as someone perhaps who is interested in the Beckons in Britain, of course you're going to be wanting to play that guessing game. It's you know a puzzle. I mean? It's it a is. puzzle and everyone's trying to figure out it's what a, the four-letter words are. It's a juicy puzzle. Now, journalists swarmed this family vacation, as I'm sure you can imagine. The Beckhams very quickly as well went into damage control. By Monday morning, only a day after this article was published, celebrity photographer Jason Fraser snapped pictures of the Beckhams strolling hand in hand and frolicking in the snow. He sold those to London newspapers for about £20,000 per deal. Wow. Right? So he would have sold them to a few different newspapers. But the photos were accused of being a stage-managed PR stunt. I mean, obviously. Mm, So the Saturday night, so not even a week since the articles came out, Victoria Beckham went on a late-night talk show. She went on Ant and Dec's Saturday Night Takeaway where she made it sound like her and David were better than ever. She said, we're not planning on making any babies at the moment. We're what they call practicing at the moment, which is really good fun. Such an interesting decision. (laughs) That has got to be one of the most mum and dad-esque quotes. It's It's so chuggy. It's so chuggy and so yuck and just something that all couples, older couples, I'm so sorry, I don't want to be ageist here, think is funny. It's not funny. Don't tell us about practising to make babies. I don't want to know that. I mean, goddamn, imagine having... Sorry. I mean, goddamn. (laughs) Imagine having reports of your husband cheating on you, probably not once, but more than once now as we go back into his history, Mm. and you're the one that six days later has to front a national talk show to sell Britain on the state of your marriage. Like, oh my God, I would be like, I am not doing that work for you. No. Not at all. Absolutely not. Meanwhile, in London, members of Beckham's team were trying to attack Rebecca's credibility and reinforce the image of Beckham as this devoted husband and family man. As one show business reporter told The Guardian at the time, the strategy is to destroy Rebecca Luz, turning her from respectable diplomat's daughter to sleazy senorita overnight. Beckham's people told me about her lesbian affairs and pointed me in the right direction. They gave me a number for an ex colleague at SFX who would trash her. And this is another part of the story that's hard to read because like as predictable as it is and as sad as it is that that was predictable, it's just such a tired narrative that we trash the reputation and slut shame the woman at the centre of these stories. Now, some actually did worry that the campaign against Rebecca backfired. The Guardian did write, the portrayal of her as an irresistible sex siren made the notion of Beckham's fall all the more believable, which Mm. is a really interesting insight. And Rebecca Lou's didn't stop giving interviews there. She was about to give another huge interview on TV this time just a couple of weeks later. But now it's time for a word from today's sponsor. All right, Zara, you told us before the break that Rebecca Luz was about to give a massive televised interview. This actually took place two weeks after Victoria Beckham's interview. So on the 16th of April, 2004, Rebecca did her first tell-all interview with Sky TV, for which she was paid a handsome sum of £150,000, according to her publicist. I hope she invested all of this money wisely. (laughs) It was a big payday. Huge couple of weeks for Rebecca Lewis. Beckham's team were working to crush the story before it went live, so David's lawyer reportedly wrote to Sky in a last-ditch effort to try and block the broadcast 
Master from being able to air the really explosive interview. Now, they allege that the interview breached a confidentiality agreement signed by Rebecca when she worked for Beckham's management agency, SFX. I mean, if she breached a confidentiality agreement, she'd already done that weeks before. (laughs) I think the most important confidentiality agreement had gone out the window. Yeah, exactly. The interview, of course, went ahead anyway and brought near record ratings to the Sky TV channel. And Rebecca basically told the full story of how she claims the affair unfolded. Yeah, she said that she first met David at a private airport on the 1st of July, 2003. At first, she said she felt zilch for him. (sighs) Brutal. She went on, I mean, he's not my type of guy. I never go for looks or image type people. So it took a while before that attraction built. Rebecca went on to say that David was missing his family who are still largely living in the UK and that he was lonely. Yeah, Rebecca also said that there was an obvious attraction between her and David. She said, we spent a lot of time together. We just bonded. We think the same way, made the same jokes, had some kind of connection. It was on that 18th of September evening in 2003, that first evening where rumours really started to sort of hit the media about their relationship that their relationship allegedly did turn from professional to something else. So it's that exactly as we said before, you look at these images and you think, okay, well, nothing's happening, but something could be happening. Mm. And it turns out with hindsight, something was definitely happening. Yeah. So she did explain on Sky TV that they'd been out with a group of people for dinner and drinks and they really hit it off. And that was noticed by the group of people that they were with. She claimed that they finished dinner late that night and decided to go on to a club. Yeah, at that club, Beckham suggested that they should all go back to the hotel for drinks. And this was about 2.30 in the morning. But then she said he turned to her and said, why don't we just lose the rest and go back together? She claims, Rebecca Lou claims that she laughed off that suggestion, but later said it dawned on me what he had asked me and I decided I did want to go back with him. So we gave each other a look and paid the bill and left. She says they got in a car with two other members of the group and once dropping them off, started, and I quote, kissing quite passionately all the way back to the hotel. It was like magnets, pretty amazing. I think the detail that the British public have never been able to forget about this story is when Rebecca Luz told Sky News TV that the morning after he fed her fresh strawberries in bed. I think it's just like tiny details, like tiny niche details like this that are actually perfect for a story for Sky News and mm. Rebecca Lewis because this is what the public just doesn't forget. It's not the grubby stuff. Yeah. It's like the strange sort of fresh strawberry being fed stuff. Yeah, it's like kind of cute, which is very discombobulating when you should not be cute with another woman who is not your wife. From there, Rebecca claimed that they texted each other 30 times a day, which we've got to remember, this was in the early 2000s. These text messages were costing money. Text messages were not as frequent. I don't think we can compare that to today's terms, but she did say they had text sex around twice a week. One time she was visiting a museum with her parents and she said she had to go up to the toilets and finish the text sex there. (laughs) Why? I'm so resentful that that's even in our notes, but... Yeah, interesting. I think it's important for us to say, not because we want to kind of go to the same sort of gutter that a lot of these tabloids went, but this story I think it's important to illustrate was really, 
really tabloidy. Really tabloidy. And the level of detail that Rebecca Luz was willing to go absolutely trashed the reputation of David and Victoria. Like the stuff that we suddenly knew about his sex life just felt like such an invasion, didn't it? Now, what is also really interesting about this is according to Rebecca, they had sex less than six times. That is mind-blowing to me. Reading some of these quotes, reading how often and like how saucy they were with each other, you would think that they were having sex all over the place, all the time, couldn't keep it in their pants. Less than six times. So what, maximum five? Like (laughs) that's nothing. It's really not a very long affair and I'm not condoning affairs at all, but... I always thought before we looked back into this story that this was a sustained long-term affair that he had with Rebecca Luz. It was fleeting and brief. Well, it depends which way you look at it and it depends what you classify as an affair, right? But I would argue that less than six times hints far more to lack of opportunity than anything else, that it was much easier for them to have, as they keep calling, text Text sex, sex, which is the most 2004 term ever, (laughs) than it was for them to have actual sex. Mm. And I think they were clearly trying to keep this on the down low. So how many times would they find themselves, you know, being able to break away from prying eyes in order to do this? That's all I think. But it was a sustained affair. We know that. Was your university degree worth it? Um, (laughs) Probably not. Rebecca also wanted to make clear that her affair with David wasn't the cause of the problems in David and Victoria's relationship. She said, I think the problems were in their marriage long before I came into the picture. I in no way intended to break up their marriage, especially when there are young children involved. I hope they stay together. Oh my God. That quote is so annoying. I hope they stay together while I cash in 150,000 pounds and talk about their marriage on live television. Yeah, well, that quote doesn't even touch the sides of this one. She also said she didn't expect any sympathy from Victoria, acknowledging that it is bad enough for me to do what I have done. (laughs) Rebecca! The worst thing you actually have done (laughs) is... is, Get on this television! Do this this interview. Like, yes, the (laughs) affair wasn't a great decision, but, like, the worst thing you can possibly do is speak publicly about it. Rebecca needed a girlfriend in this moment to grab her by the shoulders and go, honey, stop. Like you made the mistake. That's fine. You've done your little newspaper interview. You have cashed out and made big money from this. Must you lay every punch into Victoria's stomach? Like, can you just step back maybe and leave these people be now? But I, not to be a bit of a cynic, but like, I don't think she cared. I don't think you could care and do this. I really don't think you could. I don't believe that she hopes they stay together. I don't really believe that she thinks it's bad enough for me to do what I've done. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think you can possibly care and make the decisions that she's made. Well, it's not like she's apologising either. None of these quotes, and particularly that original newspaper article, never included an apology to the family, probably because she wasn't very sorry. Once again, Victoria and David denied all of the claims. They called the allegations from Rebecca ludicrous again. Victoria also told the Sun tabloid, we have been through a lot worse than this and we're we're definitely going to get through this. Does that make very you, strong? Does that make you wonder what the hell could possibly be worse than this? Yeah, it's like, what do you mean we've been through a lot worse <laughs> than this? What could possibly be a lot worse? Yeah, there is not much. The public narrative about women in this story, I think, is a really important point for us to touch on because while David mostly got off scot free, surprise, surprise, golden boy. 
The people who seemed to cop it most in this story were Rebecca and Victoria. News of the world's rival paper, The Sun, as we said, described Rebecca Luz as a sleazy senorita. They also released a series of stories attacking her character, alleging affairs with three tennis players. They wrote disparagingly about her bisexual relations, which we should note is 2004 and was definitely used as a weapon then to portray certain women as hypersexual. I mean, we saw Mm. it with Angelina Jolie when we spoke about her. Yeah, it's so interesting to look back at these decades, like the 1990s and 2000s in particular. I think I've been taken aback in almost every Scandal series how regressive we were when it came to LGBTIQ plus issues and stories. And bisexuality has come up again and again and again. And she was really, Rebecca Luz was really depicted as a harlot because she also enjoys sleeping and having relationships with women. She did touch on some of this coverage that she was receiving in the Sky News interview where she said, people are calling me a liar and calling me names. She said she was prepared to go to court to defend her claims as well. She said, this is what happened. This is the truth. I should not be ashamed of this. I am 100% sure of what I am talking about. There is no doubt in my mind. I have no reason to lie. Why would I? Yeah, so that was the coverage that Rebecca got. And as we touched on before, the coverage that Victoria got was very much like, okay, well, why did David do this? What did you do? What decisions did you make as a wife that led David to make the decisions that he made? And it very much centred on this idea that she had abandoned him, which Mm. is a really, really disappointing narrative. Perhaps what's an even more disappointing narrative is what happened around the discussions at this time with Victoria's weight. Yeah. And unfortunately, as we see in so many of these stories, it's the women in the stories who even put this gross narrative onto each other. It's not just men doing this. Women do this to each other tenfold. One of the worst things Rebecca Luz did when she made this affair with David Beckham public is that she gave such gross commentary on Victoria Beckham's body. I don't want to give the direct quotes that she gave to tabloids because I don't actually want to repeat that or give oxygen to that 15, 16 years later. I do want people to trust us, though, that the way she spoke about Victoria Beckham's weight was incredibly misogynistic. Yeah, it was disgusting. And what it did is it fed what was already quite a big story in the UK. Like it fed a beast that was already existing because the British tabloids were always fixated on Victoria Beckham's weight. Mm. Back in 1999, the Daily Mail had run a series of articles that accused Victoria of being anorexic. They called her skeletal spice and an anorexic scrawny chicken. Now, Mm. those quotes are confronting and that is why we gave the trigger warning at the start of the episode. But I think we thought it was really important to include because this was how... The media spoke of Victoria at the time and Mm. Rebecca Luz knew that and she fed that. Yeah, absolutely. As well, Victoria's body was so tightly policed whenever she was pregnant or had given birth. There was a lot of commentary around how she looked while she was pregnant, how her body looked immediately after. 
There was a Guardian piece in 1999 titled Victoria Beckham, A Model Figure. The stand first read, Real lives. She's been dubbed skeletal spice, but Victoria Beckham insists she's not too thin. So, is she actually underweight? And if she is, is it any of our business? A Guardian journalist investigates. Like, this was not just the grubby tabloids saying this stuff. The highbrow newspapers were contributing to this as well. They were just trying to do it in what I will now say was a very transparent way. They were trying to say, hmm, let's investigate this and is it our business and should we be talking about it? While talking about it anyway. They clearly just wanted the clicks. They wanted to sell newspapers. They just knew they couldn't sell it in such a grubby way that the tabloids did. But they were contributing to the exact same culture that they were purporting to despise. Yeah, exactly. It feels incredibly transparent. It's like you can't pretend to wonder if it's any of our business when you are actually making it your business by writing an entire article about the state of a woman's body. Like Mm. that's just so fucked up. The media has continued to reference that wafer thin description of Victoria's body over the years and continuously written about her weight. And while we might actually be jumping ahead of our own timeline here, Mish. Yeah. This commentary on Victoria's body didn't relent for more than a decade. I mean, there was this disgusting headline in a piece in 2007 written by the Daily Mail that I actually will not read aloud because I think it is too terrible. But it basically speculated about the size of Victoria's waist mm. and sort of compared it to other items that could be a similar size. Yes. And it was just the most rough way to read about someone considering a woman's body. Yeah, I think as well there was this narrative around Victoria Beckham and her quote-unquote sexless marriage with David Beckham that pushed him to go cheat on her, that she was so skinny he couldn't possibly find her attractive and she wasn't womanly. That was very much a thread running through this story, that Victoria Beckham was thin, therefore she was the equivalent of a young boy. Like those parallels were drawn in multiple articles. And that is just like a whole other level of disgusting media behaviour to argue that if you are a certain weight, men can't find you attractive anymore, you're not even a woman anymore. Yeah, I think it's that. And then I think there was a thread of stability here. Mm. Like there was a thread of is there something wrong with Victoria? And it kind of feels like there isn't. Therefore, maybe it makes sense that David would stray. Like there was a a whole bunch of subliminal messages here that the whole world was fed about Victoria. And Victoria kind of became like a victim again in a story where she's already being shut on by everyone. Yeah, it's, it really, really sucks. Like it really sucks. And I think we wanted to include that not just because we think it absolutely fed the stories being printed about David cheating, but also to just say that this hasn't been, the cheating wasn't just the only horrendous press that Victoria had to endure over the years. No, and even till today this hasn't relented, which says a lot about the state of the media, particularly in the UK as well. Now, Rebecca Luz wasn't the only woman to come forward and allege that she had an affair with David Beckham. In the week following Rebecca's first story, several women emerged claiming to be ex-lovers of David's. Yes. Unfortunately for the couple, we had a Spanish supermodel by the name of Esther Cañadas who was supposedly seen kissing David in a nightclub before Rebecca Luz was ever on the scene. It was also reported that another woman by the name of Frida Carlson 
not to be confused at all with a 22-year-old skier by the name of Frida Carlson who is accidentally going to be caught up on this story. And would have been in like year one at the time or something. Oh, like barely even born. No, this Frida Carlson is a blonde Swedish model. She spent the night with David reportedly after he invited a bunch of models to his hotel room. And then around this time in 2004, another Spanish woman by the name of Nuria Bermudez was allegedly seen repeatedly visiting Beckham's hotel. Yeah. So So we have a a few women. (laughs) There's a bit, there's a little bit going on. And to add to that little bit going on, we have an Aussie woman by the name of Sarah Marbeck. So this is one of the more serious cheating allegations that emerged around this time, obviously on top of Rebecca Lou's. We only ever learned of Sarah Marbeck's name after Rebecca Luz started speaking to the tabloids. It turned out, again, Sarah Marbeck's alleged affair with David Beckham preceded Rebecca Luz's affair with him. Neville Thurlbeck, the News of the World journal that we referenced many a time in episode two, was actually trying to cover the Sarah Marbeck-David Beckham affair allegation before he ever flew to Madrid to meet Rebecca Luz. Yeah, exactly. So Rebecca Luz happened after Sarah But we learned of Sarah after Rebecca, if that makes sense. Now, we have to rewind a little bit to tell this story. But in his memoir, Tabloid Secrets, Neville recounted being called into his editor's office at News of the World and being told he needed to fly to Australia in September 2003 to meet a young woman by the name of Sarah Marbeck. Now, she had claimed to friends that she and David Beckham had had an affair. So Neville Thurbeck had been flying all across the world To work out who was having an affair with David Beckham. I love that Neville's beat in the journalism game was just David Beckham and who David Beckham's having sex with. Exactly. So this actually happened well before Rebecca Luz was on the scene. News of the world again was so paranoid that another journalist would catch wind of the story, according to Neville, who said that even if a rival newspaper simply discovered my whereabouts, they would dispatch a reporter to try and find out what I was doing, suspecting a big story they could piggyback on. Again, it's very much like you're an undercover operator or something. (laughs) Neville flew to Melbourne and headed to the office of show business lawyer Mike Brereton. This suddenly feels very local to me. Like I we're know. involved in this story we're as well, Melbourne. He, as in Mike Brereton, was representing Sarah at the time. There, Neville and Sarah connected. At the time, she was 29 years old. She was mostly working as a model. The newspaper News of the World promised her £100,000 for her story if they could, importantly, substantiate it enough to publish it. So Neville spent two weeks in Melbourne. He interviewed Sarah for the story and tried to corroborate her allegations. And Sarah basically said that she and David first met at a party thrown by Singapore socialites during a Man U pre-season tour of the Far East in 2001. She says they met in about July 2001. Now, Sarah, who worked as a model for Armani and Gucci and Calvin Klein, said that she had been invited to this party through her modelling agency. And she claimed that she spotted David walking down the stairs to the pool and went up to him. At one point in the night, they took a photo together. Both of them are in white shirts and her arm is around his shoulder. Yeah, she says they started chatting and soon after, David supposedly reportedly asked her to meet him in a private movie theatre under the house. She says they sat up the back of the cinema and apparently he said, look, I don't usually do this, but I'd really like your company later tonight. Will you come to my room on your own? 
Mm. <laughs> so he left the party on a man you bus, Sarah says. And then Sarah said she stayed at the party for another half an hour trying to think about what to do before eventually deciding to meet David at his hotel. There she claimed they had passionate sex. Please, no. Why do we have to have descriptors about the sex? Why can't we just be told that it happened? I reckon News of the World would say to these women, if we're paying you £100,000 for your story, you've got to give us some juicy adjectives. You are not getting out of describing the sex to us. Sarah did say that she was besotted with David Beckham and had told him that she had plans to fly to Britain. She claimed that he actually gave her tickets to meet him at a football match on the 27th of March 2002 and after the match a guard came and asked if she was Sarah and then took her to the players tunnel where she met David again. Yeah so from there the affair reportedly continued David would text and call her and there was only really one gap in communication which coincided with when Victoria actually gave birth to the couple's second child Romeo on September 1 2002. Apparently These two, Sarah and David, had nicknames for each other. His nickname was Peter Pan, hers was Tinkerbell and Victoria's was Wendy and I hate the world. (laughs) Why? Sarah claimed that he, as in David, sent her hundreds of messages over two years from 2001 to 2003. According to one text message from the number which was sent in January 2002, Victoria had discovered their raunchy text messages to each other Despite Victoria finding out, reportedly, Sarah says they kept in communication. Later that month, Sarah claimed that David Beckham texted her, I love you, X, as in kiss. (laughs) Thank you for that clarification. (laughs) Sarah did tell Neville Thurlbeck that, and I quote, I certainly didn't take our affair lightly and nor did he. This is probably the most famous father, family man and husband in the world and he changed my life. I know I meant something to him because on and off we continued our relationship month after month after month. When we made love, David told me, I know what we're doing is wrong, but I can't help it. By August 2002, the affair was beginning to fade it was kind of cooling off a little bit. The gaps between the messages were growing longer and longer. Neville says that he saw all of these text messages between Sarah and David and it was kind of his mission to verify the veracity of Sarah Marbeck's claims. So she still had this football ticket that David Beckham supposedly gave her so that she could meet him later on in the players lounge. She had known the correct hotel where the team stayed that night. So she kind of had details that were pretty on point but not concrete enough. She also had photos of them together at that Singapore party. It wasn't quite strong enough or robust enough for News of the World to go ahead and publish. Yeah, exactly. So Neville said he didn't have enough proof after two weeks with Sarah. She tried to text David a few times to see if he would reply, but he didn't. And by October 2003, Neville had boarded a plane back to the UK. Now, It was only when Rebecca Luz came forward with her story that Neville said they finally had enough proof to confidently publish the article from Sarah. One of the phone numbers, it turns out, that Rebecca had allegedly received David's texts from was the same number that Sarah had received texts from 
And to make matters worse for David Beckham, it was the same number that was written down in David's handwriting that we mentioned last episode on a piece of paper that Rebecca had. Ah, A week after Rebecca's story was published in April 2004, News of the World then ran another article with the headline, I'm Beck's lover number two. This time it was seven pages, so we're upping the ante. We only had five pages for Rebecca Luz. This was seven pages with Sarah Marbeck's graphic account of her affair with David. Yeah, the story made international headlines, as I'm sure people can imagine, and Neville Thurlbeck actually won Scoop of the Year at the British Press Awards. One of the wildest parts to this story, though, is considering just how much money it cost to publish. Neville said from the time they met in September 2003 to when the story was eventually published in April 2004, they spent about £45,000 just on reporting expenses like hotels and food. So that's about 90-ish thousand Australian dollars. Now, that does not even include what they paid Sarah Marbeck in the end for that story and it doesn't even take into consideration the costs that they spent on the Rebecca Lou story. Big, big money. And let me say, I know that we often criticise tabloid media. We often say that the reports they publish can be nothing short of bullshit. I am impressed by Neville Thurlbeck's <laughs> desire for the truth. As trashy and as sugary and ridiculous as this story is, I'm impressed that he went, spent two weeks with a woman in Australia, had the kind of proof that he did of a David Beckham affair and yet chose not to publish it yet. Like it does show that even though he's a celebrity tabloid journalist, he does have a deep desire to make sure he can back up the claims that he makes in the paper. Yeah, exactly. And so this was all about April 2004. April 2004 was... Not a good month for the Beckhams. Not a great month for the Beckhams. It kind of felt like after April and the ensuing months, things settled a Mm. little bit until October 2004, about six months later. And just when the Beckhams thought they had endured the last of it for that year, a beautician by the name of Danielle Heath came forward claiming that she also had an affair with David. Yeah. So on the 11th of October 2004, Danielle, who was at the time 22 years old and working as a beauty salon owner, told the Sunday Mirror that she had twice been seduced by David at his home, which is a new detail we have not seen with the other women. No, and she did say that she and Victoria Beckham had apparently become friends after Victoria booked in to have a treatment at her salon. Danielle! Victoria then invited Danielle to come to their home to apply fake tan. And what's pretty wild about this story, according to Danielle anyway, is that when Victoria first introduced her to David, she said... David, this is Danielle. Danielle, this is David. You've probably shagged her already. Interesting. Danielle told the Sunday Mirror that she and David slept together at the family's home in Spain on August 30. She said they were intimate again on September 21 after she had been flown out to Madrid to give David a spray tan for a photo shoot. How bougie that you're flying out a spray tan to a different country. And can we just stop here on the timeline for a second? Because This, if true, if Danielle Heath's allegations are true that she also slept with David, David Beckham is an idiot because he was doing this only two or three months after that horrible month of April. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And we don't know if it's true. We need to put that on the record. David denies these claims. If true, I agree with you. Not the best. Again, 
cost-benefit analysis. Like you couldn't have kept it in your pants for just six months. You That's it. couldn't have just like, but even like be more selective with the people you're sleeping with. Like this woman is going to the press and naming herself. You would think there is some kind of arrangement, some kind of process put in place to make sure the people you are sleeping with are going to keep their lips closed. It is a theory of mine that potentially Victoria and David had an arrangement where maybe they had an open marriage and maybe in 2004 this was not an idea or an approach to relationships that people were going to welcome with open arms. Like this is a very regressive time. We covered that when we spoke about Rebecca Lou's being bisexual. Maybe they have an open marriage. But why are you sleeping with people who are 22-year-olds who are then running off to the press and getting a big payday? Be smarter, David. Yeah, there's a real lack of foresight about <laughs> many of these decisions. And to make matters even worse, Victoria actually announced that she was three months pregnant with the couple's third child on August 29, which is around the time that Danielle says she was sleeping with David. Well, it was the day before. So Victoria came out, told the press, I'm pregnant on the 29th of August. Danielle says she slept with David at the family's home on August 30. UK paper The Evening Standard wrote that Victoria, who is expecting her third child, was deeply distressed at this new accusation only months after Rebecca Luz told of her affair with Beckham. A friend said she was in tears throughout yesterday and was concerned about the effect on her baby, which is due in March. Her mother, Jackie Adams, was said to have shouted at Beckham on the telephone. It is interesting because as much as you can say, well, could they have just had an open marriage? Definitely what they were feeding to the press anyway was Victoria Beckham is distraught at these allegations. Mm, David Beckham denied these allegations yet again. In a joint statement with his wife, Victoria, the couple said, it is even more distressing when we are expecting our third child soon. The allegations are completely and totally untrue and the matters are now in the hands of our lawyers. They added, we are sick and tired of people trying to make money out of our family. Yeah, it should be noted as well that much like Rebecca Luz and much like Sarah Marbeck, Danielle did make money off telling this story. She reportedly sold the story to the Sunday Mail for about £40,000. Now, while David and Victoria didn't split... The allegations definitely had an impact on their relationship, Mish. Yeah, in 2007, they did a photo shoot and interview with W Magazine. In that interview, the journalist obviously wanted to raise questions about all of these scandals, particularly the Rebecca Luz one. The journalist wrote, When the scandal is raised, Victoria's eyes shoot a look that could turn a man to stone. Without blinking, she responds forthrightly. I'm not going to lie. It was a really tough time. It was hard for our entire families. But I realised a lot of people have a price. Looking slightly sheepish, David remains silent, but seems to grip Victoria's hand more tightly. Really interesting quotes, those ones. I mean, Victoria also told the magazine that they got through the scandal together. She said, no one said marriage was going to be easy. Yes, there have been bumps along the road, but the fact is we've come out of everything we've been through much stronger and happier. It's even better now than when we were first married. After all these years, we can just come home and have a laugh together. It really should be noted that this was three years 
ish after all of these cheating allegations really came to the fore. So you could argue that in that time they actually were able to heal, that they were Mm. able to come together and sort of find that friendship and that relationship again and trust. Yeah, and also find what was hopefully a healthier relationship with the press. She did say in that interview, we just look at the pictures, to be honest, when it comes to stories about them. They kind of just put up this wall between them and the media and said, we will not indulge no matter how stupid, salacious, silly, realistic a story is, we're simply going to stonewall everyone and pretend it doesn't exist. Before we get to more scandals, Where is David at in his career at this point in time? Yeah, exactly. So David continued to play for Real Madrid until January 2007 when it was announced in a huge deal that he would be leaving to head to the Major League Soccer for LA Galaxy in America. Now, this was big news because the US is not particularly known for its soccer. Well, at least it wasn't at the time. They've definitely created far more of a competitive environment over there. But at this time, this was huge, right? This was huge. David was 32 as well, which, yes, is kind of reaching the latter years of a sporting career, but it's still pretty young. Like he still gave up some really peak times in his career to go over. So Victoria and the rest of the family officially moved with him to Los Angeles. They weren't going to have a long distance arrangement anymore. They were going to fully commit to all living together in LA. The family were preparing to move when they did that magazine interview with W Magazine that we referenced earlier. During the photo shoot, someone on the crew asked them, what part of Beverly Hills is your new house in? To which Victoria smoothly replied, the best. Do you remember this? No. Really? No. This is one of my earlier celebrity moments of when Posh and Bex were taking America. Like it was so big. I would have been like 12 or 13 and I remember reading it in the magazines being like, how will they fit in? How will they go in Beverly Hills? I read these like dumb tabloid reports of Victoria throwing big bashes at their big mansion to try and make all these American (laughs) Hollywood friends. It was big. It was like Britain and Hollywood coming together. The couple settled into a $22 million house. It was 13,000 square feet. It had six bedrooms. It was sort of Mediterranean style. It was decked out with a screening room, a tennis court and a pool. Victoria insisted to W Magazine that, and I quote, We didn't want anything too huge, too fancy, too ostentatious, (laughs) rather something quite practical for the kids. It's a light, happy house with a great corridor the kids are going to love when they go roller skating. (laughs) Imagine thinking that that's like, she's describing this like a beachside shack. It's It's a shack. 13,000 square feet. Yeah, she also said she was sold on the home's prime location between the seaside, training field and school And, of course, the luxury retail store, Barney's. Of course. Despite moving countries, David and Victoria really couldn't shake the tenacious British press. W Magazine wrote in 2007 that, reportedly, several London tabloids are relocating reporters to Los Angeles just to cover the couple. Back home in England, after all, readers maintain ravenous appetites for the slightest Beckham tidbit. Even a new hairdo, of which David has had many, is front page news. Imagine being so powerful and so newsworthy that people are moving country just to be near you, just to write silly tabloid articles about your haircuts, what you wore that day, what's going on. Crazy stuff. 
And it wasn't the end, of course, of these cheating allegations that we've hinted to. The next cheating claims actually came from a sex worker by the name of Irma Nikki in October 2010. She told InTouch that David Beckham had hired her to have sex with him five times at hotels across London and New York in 2007. Now, Irma gave some pretty egregious comments to the media, including, again, but not limited to, comments about Victoria's weight and slim frame. The women Mm. who were allegedly sleeping with David were going at Victoria's body. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot that those women probably need to work through internally. It's hard to even make any kind of analysis on why you would do that, like why you would already inflict the pain on going public with a an affair story, but then inflict the further pain of needing to personally criticise the figure and the body of another woman. Beckham's lawyers did deny these allegations again. They added that the claims were false and defamatory and caused David great mental anguish and emotional distress. His team said that the allegations were ridiculous, slammed the quotes as lies and completely untrue. This is a different tact that we hadn't actually seen from David up until this point. Yes, he denied all of these stories up until this time, but he went pretty hard for Irma. It is probably important to note too that Irma didn't really have any evidence to prove her version of events and there were parts of her story that didn't stack up. For example, she claimed that on one occasion he answered the door and his hair was damp after a shower, right? But David's lawyers claimed that that couldn't be true because at the time, and there are photographs to prove it, (laughs) David had a grade one haircut, meaning it would have dried almost immediately. But this was honestly to what level there was analysis about this story. Also, it's the first time that David went to sue any publication. And you could look at that in two ways, right? You could say, okay, Maybe this wasn't true if he really went to great lengths to sue the publication or you could say he went to great lengths to sue this publication because he could see that they had far less evidence than any of the other publications that ran these stories. Yeah, for sure. So he did sue the publication for running the story, seeking $25 million US in damages. In February 2011, though, the case against InTouch magazine was thrown out in an LA court after the judge decided that the article was in the public interest. Now, this is an interesting one because... American defamation laws and what you can publish in the US is worlds away from what you can publish in the UK and particularly here in Australia. The US really has this approach that if someone's intentions are right and good, they can effectively publish what they want and that light will be the best disinfectant. Yeah, basically how it works is unlike in Australia, in the US, defamation laws are much more favourable to the defendant. And in this case, the defendant was Irma. And they are much more favourable to the defendant, especially in cases where the other person is a public figure. So the plaintiff basically has to prove, so David Beckham would have had to have proven that there was actual malice on the part of the publisher, that they had either known that the information was false or had a reckless disregard as to whether it was false. And that's a pretty hard thing to prove. Very hard, very hard. In fact, the magazine even argued that Irma's account was entirely consistent with Mr Beckham's reputation as a serial philanderer. Basically, they argued that the claims were believable to them because they lined up with so many claims from previous women. We just would never see that here. We would never see that being able to say, well, he's cheated in the past, so it must be true here. (laughs) In 2012, a year later, rumours also surfaced again that David had an affair with the opera singer Catherine Jenkins. 
Catherine herself actually took to Twitter to deny the allegations. So this is another kind of layer to the story that we haven't seen yet. In every other story we've seen about David Beckham cheating, it's the women going to the press selling their story. In this case, there were rumours on social media for the first time ever because it's 2012 and suddenly we're using social media. Welcome, Twitter. (laughs) Exactly. And Catherine goes, no, this didn't happen. I'm going to release a statement. Yeah, this is different as well because Catherine Jenkins, to the best of our knowledge, is the first public figure to actually be connected to David Beckham. These other women coming out don't have public profiles. The public really doesn't know who they are. Catherine Jenkins was and is a prominent opera singer. So this also would have damaged her personal brand. She wasn't out looking for extra publicity. In fact, if anything, she wanted the publicity to entirely go away, which is different from the other women. Yeah. So she said that she'd only met David twice, one at the military awards in 2010 and another on a night out in West End in February 2012. She said in this statement, we were out in a group of friends and it was just a normal fun evening out. Just so we're clear, I have never been on my own with him and never arranged to meet up. Fun fact, one of these nights, apparently Prince Harry was there too. Yeah, this really was like a fire for a couple of days and then completely vanished. Like it's quite hard to find any details about that now looking back. Yes, social media was ablaze with speculation. There was a little bit of smoke around. But because Catherine shut it down so quickly, it kind of ended very, very soon after that. Now, not much happened. 2013, 2014, as far as scandals were concerned for the couple. In 2015, Victoria did a big interview with Grazia magazine, though, where she said that she and David had suffered persistent cheating and divorce rumours for their entire relationship, and yet they had nothing to prove. I kind of see what she means by this point. I mean, it's 2015. They've been married for years. They've endured that many rumours. By this point, it's like, well, so? Yeah. It's like no one's, yeah, like nothing can really stick to us now. We are Teflon. Exactly. She said, I have never listened to or commented on the rumours about any aspect of my life. I am blessed to have a wonderful husband and beautiful, healthy, happy children. Yes, we travel a lot with our respective businesses and charitable commitments, but we always make time for each other as a couple and as a family. We love each other, look out for each other and are strong as both partners and parents. I am blown away by how formidable this connection in this relationship has been. Like I cannot think of another celebrity couple who has had to withstand this amount of just relentless media bashing. And I'm not saying the media should have left them alone and not reported on these affairs. Of course, the affairs are so interesting. I'm just impressed that regardless of what their arrangement with each other looks like or what the reality behind the scenes is, they have stuck together and never really faltered. Yeah, they must get along very, very, very well, like really well, because they must have a connection that they both keep coming back to, because otherwise why stay together this long? Yeah. Like there is nothing to say that these two have to stay together if they don't want to be together. In 2017, David did tell Radio 4 that they had renewed their vows, but did admit, and I quote, of course you make mistakes over the years. We all know marriage is difficult at times and it's about working through it. Whenever we've come through tough times, we talk. He also addressed the sceptics who assumed that they only stay together because it's better for their business. He said, do we stay together because it's a brand? Of course not. We stay together because we love each other and because we have four amazing children. You would stay together as a brand for about six to 12 months. Oh, you, (laughs) I swear to God, like, yes, some celebrities are brand oriented. They kind of have to be. It's their job to be. Could you stay with someone for like... 20 something years because you're interested in your personal brand 
No, no. This is not a PR marriage. I flatly refuse to believe that. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there are many people, though, who are thinking that now. Like, mm. I really don't think you can look at them and be like, yeah. <laughs> now, it felt very much around this time between maybe 2012 to 2018 that maybe Posh and Bex were going to evade scandals now. Mm. Maybe there'd just been so many cheating rumours that even if they came up, we'd be tired of them, that yeah. we wouldn't believe them, that it was just done. But in 2018, there was a really strange infidelity rumour that emerged that alleged David was having an affair with the school teacher of their six-year-old daughter, Harper. Now, what was so strange about this is there's no real way to track where the hell this rumour came from. It wasn't like someone went to the press. It felt very much like a Twitter rumour that blew up. Yeah, I remember this because we were working in digital media at the time. And it was just like the definition of a storm in a teacup. I remember the day at work, we were reading the tweets, we were reading the social media commentary and very, very quickly it went from David is having an affair with Harper's school teacher to David Beckham has gotten the teacher pregnant and a divorce announcement will be coming from the couple imminently. This was so intense and so pervasive that bookies stopped taking bets on whether or not the Beckhams were getting a divorce. It was treated as a sure thing. Yeah, it was like the world's biggest whisper network. That's the only way I can possibly mm. describe it. And again, as two people working in digital media at that time, I thought, well, this simply has to be true. Like how can a rumour gain this much steam if there's not something behind it? But then when we went back, right, and tried to dig into this rumour in the last couple of weeks, we've been like... How did this even originate? Like, how oh. did this blow up? One of the earliest tweets making the allegations came from a user called Lee Mara, who said, right, apparently David Beckham has got his daughter's teacher pregnant and they are getting a divorce. They also added, can't say how I know, but I know. <laughs> how something like this can blow up to be an international story where we are waiting for an imminent statement from Victoria and David blows my mind. Yeah, and to also influence markets, like yeah. for betting companies to be so influenced by a social media storm that they stop taking customers' money. We know that betting companies want all the money yeah. in the world. That's insane. Now, this was so rampant online that the couple did have to release a statement about it. They couldn't ignore it. But when they did release a statement, they came out perhaps harder than ever. They called the online rumours a crock of shit. Yeah, they said, there is no statement due or divorce. This is just fake social media news. This is all very bizarre and an <laughs> embarrassing waste of time. I have to say... <laughs> As someone who drank the Kool-Aid back in 2018 about this story and definitely thought it was true, in 2021, going back to sort of research it and deep dive it, I'm like, oh, my God, this is so embarrassing. I'm so stupid. We are so stupid. I think this was absolutely embarrassing. It was a crock of shit. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, the father of the teacher at the centre of this all as well, the poor teacher, also blasted the online gossip as nonsense. He added that his daughter has never even met David, end of story. When asked about the rumours by The Guardian in January 2019, about six months later, Victoria said, it can get quite frustrating, but I leave it to my PR team. I don't get involved. Now, Zara, happy to report that is the last cheating rumour that we know of when it comes to David and Victoria Beckham. We can all take a deep soulful breath. The cheating stuff is officially behind us. 
what else is there? Because we've covered the marriage of the Beckhams, but what we haven't touched on since maybe episode one, beginning of episode two, is the business of the Beckhams. Exactly. After moving around various clubs and countries, as we know, in May 2013, David announced that after two decades and a fortune rumoured to be worth about £165 million, he was retiring from professional football. He is widely regarded as one of the most memorable players of all time. And honestly, at least from the research that we've done on a holistic note, the scandals really didn't seem to affect his career at all. No. As for Victoria, she launched Victoria Beckham the Label in 2008. She showed her first collection at New York Fashion Week that year. At first, the only thing the label made was dresses and there were doubters, there were whispers coming out that maybe she had cut off or bitten off more than she could chew. But very, very quickly, she proved everyone wrong. The label has been and was very, very quickly a huge success. To put her success into perspective, she started out by producing 400 dresses, so 400 items total to be sold at nine retail partners. Within two years, she was making 5,000 pieces to be sold at more than 300 stores worldwide. She has been very impressive in the fashion scene and I think you're absolutely right when you say she proved everybody wrong. She had more doubters than almost anyone. Like Mm. Victoria Beckham, the person that historically Britain has seen as a little bit trashy, Mm. was able to come out and really like nail her collection to such a level that people are like, this is beautiful. And it was different for Victoria. These pieces, Victoria Beckham's pieces are very well known for being simple and well cut mm. and refined and not over the top. They are really classy kind Timeless. of pieces. Yeah. And it was like the birth of a new era for Victoria. I think this label has done more for her personal brand. The type of clothes in this label as well has done more for her personal brand than almost anything else. She told The Telegraph in 2011, though I'm trying to take baby steps, the business is growing very quickly. Our turnover year over year has increased over 120%. I think to anyone's standards, that's very impressive. Netta Potter also told the publication that Victoria Beckham's dresses fly off their shelves. In 2011, she also beat out Stella McCartney, Tom Ford and Burberry to win Designer of the Year at the British Fashion Awards. Dare I say there's a lot of Kim Kardashian about that, going from that trashy persona to high fashion elite very, very quickly and proving the doubters wrong. By November 2018, Victoria Beckham's label was valued at £100 million, according to The Telegraph, and that year she told CNBC, there was two of us when I first started and it was just dresses, whereas now we've grown. It's not just dresses, it's tailoring, it's knitwear, it's a complete wardrobe plus accessories as well. I've learned a lot from my team and I've learned a lot about the business. I've had to. I hadn't done this before, so I've surrounded myself with the right people and the team has grown each season. She's also got Victoria Beckham beauty at the moment too. And she's not the only one who has become a business person either. According to The Mirror, David Beckham's various ventures, which all sit under a banner company called DB Ventures Limited, bring in about 32 million Australian dollars per year. The top of that tree is the fragrance division. I swear this is the, there are a few constants in scandal episodes, aren't there? (laughs) Celebrity fragrance and competing timelines or shady timelines. 
parents who we don't really like all that much or like siblings who do dumb stuff in the public eye. And a bunch of foreboding quotes. But for now, it is fragrance. And David Beckham's fragrances are amongst the top selling men's scents in the world. Yeah. Currently today, the Beckhams are living in a $31 million mansion in London. Their oldest son, Brooklyn, is a budding TV chef and engaged to his fiance Nicola Peltz. David even appears in his TikTok videos. We're feeling very 2021 right now. Their son, Romeo, seems to be following in his dad's footsteps. He has just signed his first pro soccer contract with American side Fort Lauderdale CF this year. Yeah, and as for their 22-year-long marriage, David and Victoria, at the very least, seem to still be happy and in love. David shared photos of them wearing matching outfits over the years to his Instagram in July to celebrate their wedding anniversary with the caption, 22 years later, still matching outfits. Happy anniversary. Love you so much. And thank you for giving me our amazing kids so we can all wear the same thing, which is again a hint to the fact they always wear matching outfits. 22 years a fuckload of controversies and scandals and yet an enduring love for each other that has beaten it all. Yeah, incredibly impressive. Incredibly. Bravo, Victoria Beckham. Let me say, like, she is a tough fucking cookie to put up with this shit. I'm tired and it's been, what, three hours of recording or something. She's lived this for 22 years and she's still there and she's still in love with her husband and he loves her back apparently. Yeah, it's so, so impressive. I would just love to know the machinations of that relationship and what kind of has gone on behind the scenes or behind closed doors when all of these stories have broken. But hugely impressive. What a story. I am also a little bit tired and I haven't even lived it. Powerade, please, someone. That is all we've got time for. A big thank you, as always, to our researcher, Justine Landis-Hanley, who we researched this alongside. We so appreciate your work. Mish, what can the listeners do to help us? Follow us on TikTok at Shameless Podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. Look through all our galleries, like our videos, helps out the algorithm. Thank you so, so much. And if you enjoyed this episode, Send it to a mate. Send it to a friend who you think might be interested and might want a trip back down memory lane with Posh and Bex. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. We'll be back in your ears on Thursday with a wrap in the week that was in pop culture. Bye. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.